What's up, church? Hey, thank you. Hey, y'all will want to go down and get some cake. It's the best cake there ever has been. All right? Um, So, trust me. Just do it. I don't care about your diet. This is a cheat day for us all. Um, So, I want to just, as we prepare for the sermon, I want to just take a moment and I want to pray. Uh, Just pray, uh, whatever you need, however you need to talk to Jesus, I, w- I want to just take a moment and just do that. Uh, sometimes I think we jump too quick into the sermon and we don't spend enough time like focusing our minds and, and, and really opening up that communication pathway to Jesus. Uh, so whatever it is that's on your mind, maybe like last week we talked about confession, maybe it's something that, that has been heavy on your mind, heavy on your spirit this week, and you just need to confess it to Jesus. Uh, maybe it's something that you're struggling to get control over or you're worrying about and you just need to like literally take it out of your pocket because you've been carrying it around and hand it over to Jesus. Uh, maybe it's just to say, Jesus, we welcome you here. Holy Spirit, I welcome you here. I want to hear for you from you. I am available. My mind and my heart are open to you. So I want to just take a moment and pray. All right? Sound good? All right. I'll close us in a couple minutes. Jesus, we center our thoughts, our hearts on you. Jesus, we ask that that whatever we've come in here with, whatever we've walked through the doors with or are watching on our screens with, we, we give those things to you. Not in a way of saying those aren't ours to struggle with and deal with, but those, it's a way of saying that we trust you. We depend on you with every aspect of our life. I pray that you turn our hearts and our minds towards you. We invite you here. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're in the season of Lent, and we started last week with this sermon on the habit of confession. And I hope you lived into that this week, that you actually 
practice some of these things. Uh, as Holland put it a couple weeks ago, these are things that aren't just things that we need to do. Like they're not just things we check off the list to be a good Christian. These are habits, these are practices that actually bring us into relationship with our Father, with Jesus. These are things that we can organize our life around to center us in the gospel and in Jesus. So this week, as is, is, is we lean into Lent, Lent is this season, 40 days before Easter, leading up to Easter, where it's an intentional space for the church, for Christ followers, to really take a step back and evaluate their life. Just like we prep for most other holidays, we prep for Easter coming up. And it's this preparation where we step back and take a sober look and go, what's supposed to be here and what's not supposed to be here? What parts of my life have Christ in them? What parts of my life am I running away from Jesus? It's for us to evaluate. What's the trajectory of my life going? Where have I maybe walked out of step with Jesus? Where am I running from Jesus? Where am I trying to do things completely on my own? Maybe it's working, maybe it's not. So we're going to talk about the book of Jonah. And as we unfold in this book, uh, we will, you'll learn why we're talking about the book of Jonah right now leading up to Easter. But I, I want to ask you a question. How many of you have heard something about the book of Jonah? Raise your hand. How many of you know the plot line of the book of Jonah? Raise your hand. I think most of us know it has something to do with a prophet and a fish, right? I think for many of us, that is about the extent of where our knowledge about the book of Jonah takes us. Like This is an incredible book. It's super short, so find it right now in your Bibles. You might have to use a table of contents. It's very short, four chapters long. You could read it this afternoon before you fall asleep for your nap. Uh, it's an incredibly short book, but an incredibly profound book. And so I want to invite you, over the next five weeks, to really camp out in this book. This book that is seemingly very familiar to most of us if you've grown up in church. Even if you haven't grown up in church, you've probably heard of this idea that there was this prophet, he ran away from God, there was a big fish, spit him back, made him turn around, and uh, then something happened. That's incredibly profound. And I think leading up to Lent, in how we evaluate our lives as we prepare for the risen Jesus, there are some things that the book of Jonah speaks to us about. I think the book of Jonah is one of the most sophisticated uh, books, the, the prophets in Scripture. 
There's so many things going on here. And there's things that, that kind of require a sense of humor. There's things that are like complete satire. There's parts of this story that you go, what? That's not how the story's supposed to go. That's not how the prophet is supposed to act. See, the prophet is somebody that God talks to on behalf of the people and sends the prophet to the people for a message. Throughout scripture, go address the people about the way they're viewing money. Go, go address the people on how they're oppressing other people. God picks somebody and says, go, give this message. It might even get you killed, but go give this message to this group of people. And what's the whole point? God wants desperately for people's hearts to be turned towards him. That's the point of the prophets. God's coming to his people and saying, I want your heart. I don't want you to chase after these other things. I want you. So throughout the Old Testament, there's periods where God picks someone and sends them to another people to try to turn them back to who? To God. Now, the prophet Jonah, it was a little bit shocking. Uh, We could read in verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise! Notice the word arise. Take note. Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So there's a couple things that we have to understand about this calling. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Hey, Jonah, I got something for you to do. I got a mission for you to go on. I want you to go speak to the Ninevites. And this is shocking on multiple layers. Up until now, part of the reason why it was shocking is it was a call for a Hebrew prophet to go out to a Gentile city. See, there were the Israelites, and then there was everyone else. And God raised up the Israelites. This is the bulk of the Old Testament. You have the Exodus, you have Abraham, you have all these promises, these covenants. And the whole purpose is that God is raising up a people that others look at to go, man, that's what God looks like? That is awesome. I want to go follow him. So up until this point, the prophets were called to other Israelite cities. This is the first time that a prophet, Jonah, was called to go to a non-Israelite city. This is massive. It's unprecedented. It was even more unprecedented because of what Nineveh was. Tim Keller writes in his book, The Prodigal Prophet, the city of Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. 
of impending doom. Assyria was one of the cruelest and most violent empires of ancient times. Assyrian kings often recorded the results of the military victories, gloating the whole plains littered with corpses and cities burned completely to the ground. The Assyrians would typically cut off legs and one arm, leaving the other arm in hand so they could shake the victim's hand in mockery as this person was dying. The Assyrian nation was brutal to their enemies. They pulled out prisoners' tongues. They stretched their bodies with ropes. They tortured people. Those that survived the destruction of their cities were fated to endure cruel and violent forms of slavery. The Assyrians would have been called at this time a terrorist state. And they continued to threaten the whole Jewish northern kingdom throughout the lifetime of Jonah. There was probably a time when they invaded where Jonah was from. So, so this is really interesting, isn't it? Jonah is called by God to go where? Nineveh. Hold up, God. <laughs> Hold up. Like, this hasn't happened before. Like, you normally send your prophets to the, the Israelites. Like, that's bad enough. That's complicated enough. Like, that's risky enough. But now you want me to go where? To who? Uh-uh. No. No, like, this is, like, I am probably going to die here. Like, these people are horrible people. Brutal, ruthless, the worst humans at this time. And you want me to go where? No, God. No, no, see, they don't, you don't know what you're doing. They don't deserve you. Like, you're basically giving me a death sentence, God, and you want me to go here for these people that don't even deserve you. Like, these people deserve the fires of hell for what they are doing in this world. You want me to go where? Like, do you get the tension here? And Jonah himself is kind of a shady prophet. It's somebody like, in most versions of the kid's story, like Jonah somehow becomes the hero in the story. Like, oh yeah, he didn't listen to God immediately, but then a fish swallowed him, and then spit him out, and then everything was good. And Jonah in this story is like the anti-hero throughout the whole thing. See, Jonah, a little background on Jonah, uh, Kings uh, chapter 14, verse 25, tells us that Jonah ministered during the reign of Israel kings Jeroboam. In the text, we learn, unlike the prophets Amos and Hosea, who criticized the administration um, Jonah would have been somebody that is very patriotic, highly partisan, and highly nationalist. 
They would have been amazed if you were watching on the perimeters of this story. People would have been amazed that you pick this guy to go to this place. God's sending a prophet that isn't necessarily a great prophet. who doesn't have great character, who isn't the typical like man of God that we normally seem chosen. He is not qualified to be a prophet. To be sent to a people that aren't deserving of God's love. That's the foundation of this There's a lot of things going on here. It's an incredible story when you really take time to dig into it. So, word of the Lord came, arise, go to Nineveh. Uh, Their evil has come up before me. So, what's God's answer to their evil? Jonah, right? This is the answer. I'm sending you to go right their wrongs, to go talk to them, to go persuade them. And what is Jonah's response? Have you ever heard, like, Jesus, this tug on you, like, you're supposed to go do something, and you, you think it's outlandish, and you actually end up refusing? Have you ever been there? Where, like, you feel like God's speaking to you, and you feel like you're supposed to do something, you go, no, that can't really be that God, Right? And no, I don't want to go do that. This is Jonah. Arise, go to Nineveh. Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. He went to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare, went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Notice this language, arise and go down. Jonah, are you going to be awake at what God is doing in this world, or are you going to go down and fall asleep and try to shut it all out? Are you going to be responsive, or are you going to run away? This is a question for you and I. Are we going to be responsive to what Jesus is calling us, what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives and in our midst and our community and in our world? Or are we going to fall asleep in whatever way that looks? Jonah gets this call and he goes, nope, uh, I'm out of here. I'm going to the furthest place, the opposite direction that I can possibly go. I'm buying a fare. I'm getting on a boat. I'm out of here. There is no way I'm going to go and do what God is calling me to do. This is similar if God called me to go to Madison and then I take off towards South Dakota. As far as I can go. One-way ticket. So Jonah hears the word of the Lord, then flees the word of the Lord. But, 
In verse 4, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea. There was a mighty storm of the sea that threatened to break the ship up. The mariners, the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his God. Now, pay attention to the characters of the story. So far we have God, so far we have Jonah, and we have the sailors. God didn't pick the sailors. Jonah picked the sailors by getting in their boat. As a result of Jonah's disobedience, a storm rose up. How often does a storm rise up in our lives as a result of not following Jesus? I'll just leave that there. A storm rose up. The sailors are obviously terrified. They know the risks. They are uh, seasoned sailors. They see this storm rise up. And what's their immediate reaction? They start praying to their own gods. They weren't from Israel. They didn't believe in God, one God. They believed in all sorts of gods. And so I imagine they're sitting on this boat praying to their 50, uh, 100 gods, trying to find which one they can appease plea to, talk to, in order for that God to stop the storm. That's the culture that they're in. So I'm going to pray to the God of the wind, and maybe that will, I'm going to call out to the God of the wind, maybe I'll offer a sacrifice, maybe, whatever you need, God of the wind, please stop the wind. That didn't work. God of the rain, please stop the rain. God of money, I don't know. But they're calling out to their own individual gods. Trying to get saved. They hurl cargo off the ship. Everything that they actually needed to survive in that moment, they were throwing overboard in order to survive. Everything that would have aided them to survive, they were throwing overboard to survive. Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, laid down, and was fast asleep. While all this was going on, while well, the sailors were terrified, probably there's a lot of calamity on board. They were crying out to their gods, trying to be rescued and saved. Jonah is in the bottom of the ship, sleeping. I don't think this is by chance. I get this. The people that God called, person that God called to go and turn people's hearts back to him. When things got crazy, that person retreated and went to sleep. Do you notice a call there? As God calls us into places to show people who he is, to shine the light, to be the salt. There's a question for us here in the first verses of Jonah. Are we going to be awake 
to God's presence and what he's doing, or are we going to fall asleep in the bottom of the boat? I don't know if y'all are ready for that question yet. That is the question of the first couple chapters of Jonah. What is our response going to be to the call of God, to the call of Jesus, to the work of the Holy Spirit? Are we going to be awake, or are we going to go down to the bottom of the boat and fall asleep? So they're throwing cargo off the ship. They're praying to their gods. They're trying to do whatever they can. And the prophet, God's boy, is in the bottom of the ship sleeping. So the captain comes down. What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise. Call out to your God. They're at the very end of their rope. They are desperate to do anything. Call out to your God. Perhaps the God, uh, perhaps the God will give a thought to us and we may not perish. Still, Jonah refuses. In this moment, in this desperation, Jonah's asleep. He gets waken up and there's a moment when nothing really happens. And so they say, let's cast lots to see who's responsible for this. So they cast lots. And the lots only tell them what God is leading them to is that this is Jonah's fault. This is the reason why you are in the situation that you are in. Because Jonah didn't turn, didn't wake up, and didn't, wasn't obedient to God and what God was calling him to do. And then they ask, tell us, tell us why this is happening. Where'd you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? They're trying to wrap their, as their ship is probably starting to sink, they're trying to wrap their minds around why are we in this situation? And notice Jonah's response. I am a Hebrew. Interesting that that was the first thing that he led with. I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. You know the guy who made all of this? All the water that's about to take us down, all the wind, all the rain. Yeah, that's my God. That's who I serve. I am a Hebrew. Many translators and interpreters would say that this is a very like nod to the fact that the primary motivation behind Jonah not wanting to go to the city of Nineveh is racial. is because of who they are. He probably thinks nobody that isn't Hebrew can actually follow God. There's this interesting mix, this racial dynamic, this religious dynamic at play here, along with the reputation of who the Assyrians are. I don't think you or I would want to go to a nation that is that terrible and try to speak God to them. So on one hand, I think Jonah gets a bad rap. Like, I think he's just doing what's natural. 
what any of us would deem as common sense. So they're narrowing in on the reason why they're in this storm. It's Jonah. He's running from God. Jonah, who admits, my God created everything. My God is all-powerful. My God, but interesting because he's not living that way, right? My God can do anything except I don't actually believe that enough to put action into it. The men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you've done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. They bargain with Jonah, what do we do? Jonah goes, throw me into the sea. Interesting, right? Jonah, prophet of God, called to go to the city, to these people. Doesn't want to go so much that he would rather die. Wrap your mind around that. Rather than being obedient, rather than stepping out in faith, rather than seeing what God is going to do through this miracle, Jonah goes, nope, just throw me into the sea. I'm going to die. He could have at that very moment turned and said, I'm going to go be obedient to what God is calling me to do. But he doesn't. So much of this is a call of our lives, right? Jesus, we know where you want us to go. We know what you want us to do. We know how you want us to act, how to behave. You know how how we want us to base and center our lives on you. We know this relationship, this connection we want with you. We know what we're supposed to do in this world. We know all these things. But we don't do it. This is where Jonah's at. Now, I'd rather be thrown overboard and take my chances in the storm than actually just turn around and be obedient to God. And here's the crazy thing. Jonah's the one that's supposed to have all the faith, right? Jonah's the one that's supposed to be the example in the story. We think the one called by God is going to be the example in the story. But time and time again, you will see in this book, there are two halves to the book. The first half is Jonah running from God. The second half is his mission to the Ninevites. And you will see parts throughout this book that mirror each other. God speaks. Jonah responds in some way. Then Jonah talks to God. Right now, we're in the part where God speaks. Jonah's response is running away. Next week, we'll talk about Jonah's conversation with God in the first half of the book. But if you read the story, the sailors have more faith in God than God's prophet. Isn't that shameful? The one who's supposed to be the one to go, the one who's called, the one who's equipped, actually isn't doing what he's supposed to be doing. 
And the sailors, they pick up Jonah, they throw him in the ocean. They go, oh, this is our only chance. So, and they're praying the whole way, God, please don't punish us because we're doing this. Like this is obviously between him and somebody else. I, I don't know what's going on, but we're going to throw him in the ocean. And then they worship God. They feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered sacrifices to the Lord and they made vows to the Lord. I'm no longer going to follow this multitude of gods. I am going to follow the God. The one that made the seas. The one who is over everything. Even this crazy prophet that won't listen to him. So Jonah, the one who's supposed to be Is failing in his part of the story, right? Jonah, I called you to do this. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to run as fast as I can the opposite direction. Oh, God, you gave me another chance to, to kind of turn around. There's a storm. There's people afraid. These men are afraid. Uh, they're putting more faith and hope in you than I am. But I would rather just be thrown into the sea because I'm going to keep running away from what you are calling me to. And this is the part where I just want to ask a question. Because I think it's profound for us. We'll get to a lot of other questions throughout this book. But here's the question. Who would you have trouble going to minister to if Jesus called you? Who? Who? If Jesus called you, hey, I, wanna, I want you to go and preach to this person. I want you to go to minister to this person. I want you to go and serve this person. Who, in your mind, would you go, no, <laughs> I'm sorry, Jesus. I will go anywhere else but to that person. Who is it for you? Because this is a major part of the story. Like who is living such a horrible life that you would not go and show them the love of Jesus? You would not go and serve them. You would not go and forgive them. You would not go and give them the the jacket off your back. Who is living such a horrible life or believes something so differently than you do or stands for something you just can't stand for? Who in your life is that person who, if Jesus called you to them, you would go, no, I'm running in the opposite direction, Jesus. Think it through. Is there someone who belongs to a political party? Or a political ideology? Is 
Is it someone who is a different ethnicity than you? I know we'd never say these things out loud. But they exist. In our minds. In our hearts. Is this somebody who has a different socioeconomic level than you? Or somebody who lives in a different part of the world than you? Is this someone who has hurt you? And you've not been able to come to the place where you can forgive them yet. Therefore, your reaction would be like Jonah. uh, Jesus calls you, go to this person. You go, no, I can't. I'm, I'm running the other way. Because I have unhealed bitterness and forgiveness in my heart and in my mind. Maybe it's the church. The capital C church. Well, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I'm running the other way. Who is it for you? Because I believe as we talk through the book of Jonah, this is a fundamental issue that we need to talk about. And like I said before, these aren't things that we usually say out loud. They're things we bury deep in our hearts and our minds. But it's in those places that I believe that Jesus in the gospel wants to transform. So that when God calls you, you're ready. Because I believe that God is already calling us. And many of us act like Jonah. Let's have the worship team come up. And I want to encourage you. Whoever, whatever that is for you, I want you to write it down. I want you to bring it up and talk with somebody about it. I have friends that would go, if they are affiliated with a certain political party, I will not be friends with them any longer. If they stand for this issue, I will not be friends with them any longer. If they follow this group or that group, I will not be friends with them any longer. I think that's where Jonah started, right? I I was... As I was prepping for this, there's a relationship in my life. I'll be fairly vague here, but there's a relationship in my life um, that that I haven't talked to in a long, 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 long time for good reason. It's very warranted. I'm justified in this situation, right? 
prepping for this sermon, this person reached out to me. My immediate reaction, (laughs) I'm not going to call them back. Really? You're going to preach about Jonah? Jesus, transform our hearts, transform our lives. In your name we pray, amen.